We've lifted up our leadership and the meetings this week. But Lord, most of all, we just acknowledge that you are sovereign, you are in control. And so Lord, as things happen that many of us have no idea what's going on or understand or all of that, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would lead because we know that you have promised to lead us. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, dear. I actually could answer the quiz question at the start of the service posed by Dave Dimmick. But do not think it is because I am wise and theological. It is just because I spent an afternoon at his house about a month ago. And his daughter told me that today was um, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And when she told me that, I was like, hey, I'm preaching that day, and that gives me a unique opportunity. Um, so today we're going to sort of drift off track from our study in Matthew, but yet, as I hope you will see, it's not that far of a step off. It is really tied up in this whole concept of what God is doing in our lives. And today we're going to take some time to look at assurance or insurance and try and grasp the beauty of atonement and what Christ is doing for us. And so with that, God, I just pray that you are with our words this morning, with my words this morning. May, may we hear your message. Amen. So we have been spending time in Matthew and last week, um, Pastor Walt, knowing he was going to be gone, sort of left me with a challenge um, from up front. He kind of called me out and said, I got to preach on the, you've heard it said, portion of Matthew, of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but this is what I say, where Jesus expands the meaning of the law through divorce and adultery and murder and all of that and really kind of brings it home. Um, I'm just going to kick that right back to Walt um, to deal with in a few weeks. <clears throat> um, so... So there's the challenge. He will hear this recording at some point and just know that that's going to, you know, I'm going to stand here or there because I get really, really wumpy right here. Um, so last week we spent time looking at how Jesus fulfills the law and we came to this one text um, in, the, in the story where in Matthew Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the professional Jesus followers or professional religious people, unless you exceed their righteousness, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it is, it is a challenge because to exceed in righteousness makes us afraid. We realize there's not, a way that we could exceed the righteousness of anybody knowing that we are unrighteous ourselves and all that. And so it sets up this, like, what does it mean to exceed in righteousness and how do I do that? How many of you have been to, I'm sorry, how many of you have seen pictures of the Grand Canyon? Anybody? All right. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? 
All right, is there anybody, I guess let me ask this, is there anybody who's just seen the pictures but hasn't been there yet? All right, very good. This is for you. Um, A few years ago, I had the chance to go to the Grand Canyon. And it is an amazing sight. It is a hole in the ground, but it is beyond scope. And these pictures, while beautiful, just do not do justice to what the Grand Canyon truly is. This has been edited, obviously. The sky is way too blue. It's beautiful. The rocks, the colors jump out. I mean, the, the, it's just amazing the, the vastness that you see in this picture. Yet it is incomplete because you cannot understand the scope of the Grand Canyon until you have stood at the edge and looked around and seen the expanse as far as you can see this giant canyon. You don't understand the the scope of it until you've walked down into the Grand Canyon. And then by the grace of God have walked back out of the Grand Canyon. At times praying that the Lord would just take you right then. And just end the struggle so you could rest. Um, That's how I felt anyway. The complete picture of what Jesus is doing in our lives is something that is incredibly important. In fact, the atonement, atonement is just a word that describes how Jesus is going about giving salvation. Okay, we have a lot of words in Christianity that we just kind of throw about and we assume everybody kind of grasps and you try to break this word down sometimes and call it at one mint, you know, get all fancy with how the word is spelled and try to define it. But really what it means, it's just atonement is how Jesus, how God goes about giving us his salvation. And often I think we look at atonement or salvation in Jesus like a picture of the Grand Canyon. We just see a little bit and do not grasp the complete picture. We need to understand the complete picture of what salvation is in our lives. And it is through the atonement that God offers us. The salvation, it is through the atonement that we can begin to see the complete picture of who God is in our life. We can understand and begin to grasp the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross. And to find the complete picture of atonement, we have to go way back in time to when the Israelites had their portable tabernacle and when they would have once a year the Day of Atonement. Now, for those of you who are like me, the Jewish calendar can be a little bit weird um, because if you are a good knowledgeable, take that back, forget I said that, I do not mean it whatsoever. If you have any knowledge of Adventism, doesn't matter good or not, that's not a qualifier, um, you will you'll know that the great disappointment happened on October 22, but it's September 30. It's just how the Jewish calendar falls and whatever, but today is that day of atonement, and in the Jewish, if we were still living in that time, this would be like Christmas for Christians, this would be like Christmas for the people who had for all year long been bringing animals to the sanctuary to be sacrificed. And on this day, it would be the day when sin was taken care of. And so to get that complete picture, we need to go back to 
the favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. And we're going to spend just a moment reading about the Day of Atonement as it was there. The complete picture of salvation is found in the Day of Atonement. And so in Luke, Luke, in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 3 through 10, this is what the Bible says. In this way, Aaron, or in this way, Aaron is to enter into the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on the holy linen tunic. Linen leggings are to cover his body, and he is to wrap himself with a linen sash and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments, so he must bathe his body in water and put them on. This is a big day. Aaron got up, and he took a bath. This is a big day. When that's not something like we do every single day, this signified that the Day of Atonement, this was something incredibly special because before he put on, he bathed himself, probably most figuratively and spiritually bathed himself and put on these garments to enter into the most holy place where the ark was. And so this is what he had to do. He must take also two male goats from the congregation of the Israelites for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron is to present the sin offering bull, which is for himself, and is to make atonement on behalf of himself and his household. He must then take two goats, stand them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meat of the, of the meeting tent, and Aaron is to cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and one lot for Azazel. Aaron must then present the goat, which has been designated by lot for the Lord, and he is to make it a sin offering. So what we have is these two goats are brought, and in some way they cast lots, be it through rolling dice, or some people think it's maybe two stones that one said good, one said bad, and they shook it up and dumped them out or something, or whichever one fell out first. Um, We don't really know how the lots were cast, but these lots were cast in just... Randomly, a goat was selected, one to be for the Lord and one to be for Azazel. Azazel essentially just means adversary. It kind of talks about, if you break the word down in Hebrew, it means it's, it's one that's going to go away. Okay, this goat is going to go away. And you, we can talk about that. Let's not get caught up in the Azazel part of the goat. Let's just understand that this goat was not the Lord's goat. The Lord's goat was taken... And would then be sacrificed. And what we've noticed so far in this Day of Atonement practice is that there is a lot of sacrifice happening. Because without blood, there is no atonement. And I don't know, for for those of us who have been around Christianity a long time, the talk of blood is, you know, normal. If you are new to this, please do not be scared off by the talk of blood. Um, It essentially is just representing the life. Giving everything that you have is what the blood kind of stands for. It's giving your life force, not to sound too Star Wars-y, but it's giving, giving what your gasoline, your oil to your engine, it's giving everything. 
And so the blood, that's what the blood represented. And the goat that was designed, that was designated as the Lord's goat was killed, was sacrificed. And then all of this blood and all, and they, all of the things they did with it represented and it got placed on the other goat, the Azazel's goat. And it says that right here. But the goat which has been designated by lot for Azazel is to be stood alive. That's an important point. Is to be stood alive before the Lord to make atonement on it by sending it away to Azazel into the wilderness. Again, remember, Azazel, there's some people who think it was a place the goat went to. It, it represents the adversary to Christ. Azazel, the word means it can, has the connotation, but it just goes away. But it is important to note that atonement is made on it. Not by it, but it's made on it. You see, a lot of times people get confused when we talk about this second goat, often referred to as a scapegoat. And they think that we're saying that it is the scapegoat that in, a, in the atonement practice that allows for sin to be taken care of. But remember, without blood, there is no atonement. And this goat does not give its life by giving its blood. It is sent out into the wilderness where it wanders and eventually dies, yes, but it is not because of the blood. Atonement does not, is not given power by this goat. It is just placed on this goat. And that's important in understanding this because we are getting into an area of especially Adventist theology where it gets a where we stand unique. Because, now I want to ask the question, in any of this, in any of the practice of the Day of Atonement for the Israelites, was there any conflict between having these two different goats? The goat of the Lord represents the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It represents He gave His life for atonement. The other goat is often thought to be in conflict with that. The, the idea of the scapegoat, the idea that sin is given back to the person who caused it. And that person would be Satan. And, and we, we look at this and we think, it has to be because if Satan is the one who gets the sin and takes it away, and that's what makes atonement, there's got to be conflict. But for the Israelites on the Day of Atonement, there was no conflict. It just was a complete picture of what God was doing through the work of the sanctuary. Think about this. If we only, if we only focus on what was done at the cross, we miss what is being done for us right now. The cross is immensely important. But as we see on the Day of Atonement, the cross is represented and something else is represented. There is a complete picture of what God is doing in our lives. And if we just focus, I mean solely focus, on just one aspect of that, we are going to miss something that is powerful for us today, this very day. Sacrifice represents 
Jesus. And it's not done away with by the addition of a second goat. It is enhanced in understanding what God wants to do in our lives. And that day in 1844, we, on that day of atonement, we believe that God moved into ministering in the, the holy place. That Jesus moved in, and that is where he is ministering in this day of atonement. We live in a time of atonement. And often that scares us because we have taught both correctly and taught it very poorly. The idea of what comes with atonement is judgment. If you've grown up in Adventist circles, the word investigative judgment probably pops into your mind. And it is not something that makes us feel very confident. But that's not because the idea is wrong. That's because it's been taught wrong. And so that's what we want to come away with today, understanding what Jesus is doing for us now in this day of atonement that we live in. And we want to understand that judgment is not a scary word. If I were to say this, would you agree with me or disagree with me? Judgment is salvation. Now think about that for a second. Judgment is salvation. Before, if any of you are questioning my questioning my words, let's go to the Bible and let's see where the Bible lays this out for us. Um, Psalm 76. Psalm 76, the psalmist says, You cause, speaking of God, you cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Notice that judgment happens to deliver. Deliverance is just another word for being set free or salvation. God rose to judgment for salvation. Judgment is salvation. This is from Zechariah, this next, this next thing that shows what God is doing in judgment. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 The Bible says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. That means God is standing there, Jesus is standing there, Satan is standing there, and Satan is the one accusing. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. He then answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and will clothe you with rich robes. Now this will engage the younger people. Um, filthy garments. 
How can I say this and still, I want to say this, but still be polite, you know? The word that is used there, just imagine this. Imagine somebody has put on a garment and has gone into your septic tank and cleaned it all out by hand. Um, The filthy word there really refers to poo, (laughs) excrement. Um, It is insanely and ridiculously, disgustingly filthy. Do we, do we grasp that that's really how filthy we are? And our righteousness, our, our righteousness is described as filthy rags. When we bring our righteousness, the righteousness that must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, it is poo-covered garments. All right, I'm done with that. I've made my point. Filthy garments were removed. But notice, who is taking these garments away? Who takes these garments away? Joshua, in this, in this scene, does not say, get me out of these things and rip them off his body like I think we all would. It is, they are removed by God. And he says, I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and put clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. What we see in this text is that the righteousness that is given to us is not given to us after we remove our filthy rags. It is given to us after God removes those rags and places clean righteousness, his righteousness on us. One more text that shows judgment is salvation. Romans 8, chapter 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Judgment is the application of of God's saving grace in our lives. The day of atonement that we live in, the idea of atonement is judgment is being given and it is God's saving grace that is being applied to us. You see, because God's character never changes. The grace that we see at the cross is not new to God. God did not make an exception and change himself for that event. God was gracious before that. When he sat down with Jesus and said, let's create man in our image, it was gracious. When God was in the garden looking for Adam and Eve after they had sinned, God was gracious. When Noah preached for 120 years, God was gracious. When the Israelites constantly turned their back on him and eventually had to be punished for what they had done, they still were spared and God was still gracious. God's grace in judgment is his grace that is in our lives and gives us the power. It is God's grace. As I have studied 
this um, in a class. You actually are participating in a little um, class homework assignment that I have to do for my master's program. Um, so thanks for being a part of that. Um, as, we, as I've studied this, I have just been impressed that so often we have missed what it means to live in this day of atonement. What it means to live with this concept of an investigative judgment. And it has caused us to have zero assurance of our salvation. And that's a struggle. I don't know if you, like me, worried as a kid that maybe at this one moment you were doing something wrong and if that was the moment your name came up or if that was the moment that some accident happened and you live in fear. That is not what God intends. That is not what God is doing and that is not how we're supposed to live because we can have assurance. Do you believe that church? We can and do have assurance. The challenge for us is to really treat it as assurance. And as I was going through this, this thought popped into my mind as I was in this class, was the concept of so often, do we want assurance or do we want insurance? Now, those of you who drive and have to pay your own bills, or those of you who are just starting to drive, need to understand that your parents' insurance rates are going up. But what does insurance really do in our lives? Insurance allows us to get in our car and leave church today and drive home knowing that if we get into an accident, we have coverage. But what happens to your insurance rate when you have that little accident? Um, it goes up. A few, a couple years ago, I got a ticket by a red light camera because apparently I didn't stop. And I had this whole big fabrication of, well, it didn't work until they had a video with it that said yeah, I didn't stop. Um, it was clear. And I paid a lot of money to avoid having my insurance rates skyrocket. Insurance is based on how good we are at driving. I've also had the opportunity to rent a lot of cars. <clears throat> and when you get to the car rental counter, there's always this big moment of fear because they make it sound like if you do not pay $20 a day for their extra insurance, you're going to be in trouble because the car is then your responsibility. But I've often wanted to buy that insurance, the kind where they say, if you have an accident, you can just walk away. Have you ever wanted to just buy that assurance, that insurance, and then go wreck the car? <laughs> I've, I've concocted many ways to make sure it doesn't look like that's what's happening, but I've wanted to just pay the money just so I have the opportunity to go drive that car into a ditch and just walk away. Just walk away. And often, that is what, how we treat our salvation. We want to know that we can go out and make a mistake and know that God is going to be there covering us. And that is true. But the focus of insurance, the focus of insurance in our lives is on us and our behavior. When I am good at life, 
when I am good and safe, my insurance rates go down. When I start to do crazy, silly, stupid things, insurance rates go up. And we can get that. You know, being a youth pastor, I've you've wanted to do fun things with people, but the conference kind of comes in and says, oh, no, that's too risky. The insurance is too high and you are not covered. Insurance is based on our performance. Insurance is based on my record. It's based on what we do. And if I am good enough, I can get better insurance and feel more secure. It allows us to do reckless things. It allows us to behave in ways that maybe we shouldn't, like jumping out of airplanes, like climbing on rocks or doing crazy things like that. It allows us to be reckless in our life and just know that, yeah, we're covered so we can be a little bit stupid today. That is what insurance does. It is works-based. However, the assurance that God offers us the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ because of the work he is doing for us now in the day of atonement, the ministry he is doing in the most holy place, the judgment of salvation that he's giving to those who follow us, the, in, uh, the assurance, now I can't, why, why is it that when I'm talking about the one, I want to say the other? <clears throat> assurance is based on what Jesus has done. When we feel like assurance is not ours, when we question our standing with God, it is because we have the wrong picture in mind. When we are headed to the cross, but looking backward at our path and seeing the mess we have laid, we are not going to feel good about our life because we see our sin and we are aware of it and are not looking to the person who is covering us. Like Joshua in his filthy garments, it is God who longs to replace those garments and say, it is not your works, it is my righteousness that will cover you. And that is where you can rest assured in Jesus Christ. And it is because of the blood of the atonement of sacrifice of Jesus that we have that assurance. It is based on what Jesus has done. We must stop looking at ourselves and stop judging ourselves and must know that Christ covers us. And that is where our assurance comes, comes from. It is Jesus' righteousness. Christ's righteousness alone is what gives us assurance. I know that each of us has failed and each of us knows that we are sinners. But guess what? God knows that too. And yet in our filthy rags of our broken righteousness, he still came, sent his son to live a life that we couldn't, to die a death so we don't have to, so that the blood from that death could be applied to our lives and give us righteousness that we can be positive, 100% assured that we can have in Jesus Christ. There's a quote from a famous author I just wanted to read, Ellen White, um, in writing about the verse we read from Zechariah. She says this, 
But while we should realize our sinful condition, we know we are sinners. We are to rely upon Christ as our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. That, those words there mean our, our righteousness is from Christ. That means the things we do don't mean a thing. It is what Christ has done. Sanctification is what we look forward to in the future on how we're going to change. And it is still based on Christ. And our redemption, our salvation, is solely based on Christ. We cannot, she says, answer the charges of Satan against us. Christ alone can make an effectual plea on our behalf. He is able to silence the accuser with arguments found not upon our merits, but upon his own. Friends, assurance in Jesus is there. Assurance, standing in judgment, knowing that God is judging us, and it is salvation that he brings. His judgment is salvation. When he looks at us and sees the life of Christ, his righteousness, his sanctification, his redemption covering us, it is Christ that God sees. And when we are covered, we have assurance. And it's not about the petty moment-by-moment life that we live. It is about knowing that Jesus has covered us. The righteousness that must exceed is found in Jesus. The assurance that we long for is found in Jesus. I hope that we can live in that knowledge because in that knowledge there is freedom. In the assurance of Christ, there is freedom from fear, freedom from worry, and freedom from sin. The assurance is from Jesus. Let's pray. God, what an amazing, amazing gift. It is because of your sacrifice... It is because of what you have done at the cross and what you are doing now that we have any hope of standing firm in the assurance that you have offered us. Lord, I pray that we will focus on you, that we will understand that it is what you have done that is our only hope that we can't answer the accusations thrown against us. And when we try, we just fail. But Lord, you are our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. It is only because of you that we have hope. And so may we live in that hope today. May we know that we are covered with your righteousness. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus Christ.